Let's, uh, let's stand together as we read God's Word. If you've got your Bible, you can open to Genesis chapter 11. Chapter 11, verses 1 through 9, then we'll skip to 27 to 32, and then we'll go into chapter 12. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had made brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come and let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they all have one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose will do, that propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down, and there confuse their language, so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the languages of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them all over the face of the earth. Now, these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of the kindred, of his kindred in the Ur, Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Naor's wife was Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, and Iscah. Now Sarai was barren. She had no child. Terah took Abram his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you and all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Lord of the word, of the word of God. Amen. <laughs> let's let's let, thank you so much. Got all those names. When, when I, Nate must have done something wrong. Throw him a passage with all those names. When we uh, Nancy and I flew back, and our two of our children flew back from California a few weeks ago, and when you fly across the country, as many of you have, it's it's pretty amazing, isn't it, to see from 40, 30,000 feet when it was a clear day when we flew. And, you know, you start the coast of, we were part of the coast of California and then over the big mountains in California and then, you know, the Rockies and the plains. And, you know, it's it's an expanse and you can see just so much in every direction. And it, but, you know, you don't, you don't get to settle on what's happening in Topeka, right? When you're flying over, you're just, you're just getting a broad view of what's happening. And it's amazing, 
but you only get sort of a few highs. And that's pretty much what we're doing with Genesis 1 through 11. Because I'm completing in three weeks, I am flying over Genesis 1 through 11. And I again tell you, I am leaving thousands of questions and thousands of issues unaddressed. Got it. Okay? Lots of good answers for all the questions we have. But my purpose in this is to get to where we are going to end today in Genesis 12, 1 through 3, three of the most pivotal verses in all of Scripture. But let me just reiterate what we did in in the first week of this series. um, Talked about a God who created something out of nothing. The kind of God who brings order out of chaos. That this God who has in mind to create for that group of people who were created in his own image, something that was perfect for us. And I've talked about the way Nancy took up pottery when we were on sabbatical, and I shared how she made this mug for me because it fits me perfectly. It fits right in my cup holder. It's the size I wanted. It's engraved for me. And God has created a world that was made for us, and he made it in a way that we could exist in it with him. God's good design was for us to live with him in communion and to live with one another in peace. But I talked about, as uh, last week, you, if you weren't here, this was a beautiful scallop bowl of, of, that she created. It hadn't been fired yet. And I decided I knew better. And so I took this scalloped bowl and I just made a few adjustments. And this is what it has become. And it's nothing like it's supposed to be. And the corrupting power of sin we talked about last week is that sin has worked its way through us as individuals. It's broken that communion with God. It's broken fellowship and intimacy with with each other. And it continues to ripple out the institutions of our world. We We are in a broken world on every level. And primarily it's because Adam and Eve decided they were going to play God, and they knew they were going to determine what was right and wrong, good and evil, not what God said. And so we, as their children, as as that we live in that. And so Genesis is telling a, a large story over thousands and thousands of years in these first 11 verses. And And as we move from the sin of Adam and Eve, what we have is just this idea of, we were designed to be representatives of God, to be ruling uh, under his authority on the earth. But now what we see is the broken intimacy with God is Adam being naked and ashamed and afraid and aware that things aren't right. And as we go through these chapters, we see his son Cain kills the other son, Abel. We see now introduced as this bitter hatred And through generations, we continue to see just a spiraling downward within some relatively few generations. The earth is now caught in the mire and the grip of sin. And if you're uh, just highlight a few verses, but in uh, Genesis six, we're entering into the story of Noah. And uh, but as we begin that story in Genesis 6, verse 5. It says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. I'm going to move this because I don't need it. That every intention 
of the thoughts of his heart were only evil continually. So there we have the beginning of what God's going to do to start over again. And that the flood comes, Noah and his family are, are saved. But what do we find? When Noah, after God rescues them, continues to show his grace that he has been pouring out, asking mankind to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, and this is his good command, Noah very soon after the the ark lands on dry ground and he's saved, he ends up sinning before the Lord, his son, and it ends up shaming him. And again, he's naked, ashamed, and that the fall has begun again because he's sin and the power of sin is great. It's worse than we think. Sometimes I think we sometimes think that sin is, is uh, in our world, it can be just like a mistake but sin is this corrupting infection. And so we see this back and forth of God being gracious, continuing to pour out his blessing, and yet mankind continuing to want to be God and, and seek his own way. And then we come to the story of Babel, and I had Nate read that as we the last bit before we come to Abraham, because the stakes have changed a little bit with the Tower of Babel. And again, I'm going to leave a lot of questions unanswered about this, but what I want to point out about this is that this is a shift not just from people killing each other, hating each other. This is now mankind deciding that they are going to make God in their own image. What we see here is the beginning of this idolatry. Because what do they say? They say, well, look, uh, and let's read, uh, if you've got your Bible open to Genesis 11, I'm going to begin to go through a few verses individually. Uh, the earth had one language in the same words. I've always thought, you know, my, my daughter and I share the same desire to have a superpower, and our superpower is going to be we can speak every language on earth. I think it'd be cool. Like, I, I just want to speak two languages. I just want to be like, I think it'd be cool to be bilingual. But wouldn't it be cool to just speak any language? Like, that would be cool. The Bible says that this idea was as a result, this, these many languages came as a result of man trying to displace God. What was happening was, if before we read 11, just look at Genesis 9, go back to uh, two chapters. God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. That is, go out throughout the earth and inhabit it for my glory. Let's see what the people that had gathered together. They had come to this plain and this land, and look at what they said. Come, let us make bricks. This is this new technology that was there. And what were they going to do it for? In verse 4, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. The idea is we can reach God. We don't need God to come to us. We, We have the technology to get to him. It sounds like a culture I sometimes live in. I can get to God. I can answer all the mysteries and the riddles of the universe. Our, my wisdom will solve every unknown that ever was. Sounds like me sometimes too. And they said, let us make a name for ourselves. Let us make a name for ourselves. Remember that phrase. Lest what will happen lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. What was God's command to them? Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the whole earth. And they said, no, 
we've got the resources now to stay together. I don't want to go. I don't want to be dispersed. We'll get to heaven. We'll figure this out. The, the, the response is almost God laughing. He says he, the Lord had to come down. He couldn't even see their, he couldn't even see their, um, their tower. He had to come down from heaven to even figure out what they were doing. I mean, I think this is a little tongue in cheek. Obviously, God's everywhere and knows everything. But this dispersion of languages, hold on to that, is, is this idea of their, they want to do it their way. But God's purposes are so much greater and his love for us so much greater that when we try to do it our way, God's going to continually try to point us back to himself. So now we're introduced with little fanfare to the descendants of Abraham, to his father, Terah. And we know precious little about it. Throughout these first 11 chapters, we've had several of those genealogies that everybody skips over, pretty much everybody skips over when you read. Because really, I mean, when Arpashad, verse 12, 11, uh, chapter 11, verse 12, when Arpashad had lived 35 years, he fathered Shelah, and Arpashad lived, blah, 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 and Shelah, and then Eber, and then Peleg, and Ru, and Surig, and all very underutilized biblical names, in case anyone here is having a child, by the way. Nahor, all these ones, you know, I'm just saying. But um, the generations of Terah, it doesn't give us any indication of their character. Doesn't give us just, it just, it's a list of people being fruitful and multiplying and God's blessing in that. And then, for whatever reason, here's what we find out about Abram. One of Terah's sons. He was in Mesopotamia, which is sort of a combination now of Iraq and Turkey, kind of north of, of, of Israel. And they're living there. And all we know from verse 30 of Genesis 11 is that Abram's wife, Sarai, was barren. She had no child. It's really all we know about their family. But we have to remember that is incredibly significant because how is inheritance and wealth and lineage passed? It's through your children, even more so than today, the importance of that and the, and the shame that would be found in that. Hold on to that thought as well. I'm having you hold on to several thoughts here, but I know you can do it. So Terah's father took Abram and Lot, and they traveled to a town called Haran, which is in Turkey. It's, it's, they settle there. But we find out, I'm going to have you shift for a minute to um, Acts chapter 7, because Stephen, the first martyr of the church, enlightens us a little bit on what was happening, gives us something that we don't get there in Genesis 11, but we do learn. Stephen gives a message before he is stoned, and he says this in uh Chapter 7, verse 2, Stephen said, Brothers and fathers, hear me, the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran and said to him, Go out from your land and your kindred and go into the land that I will show you. Then he went out from the land of the Chaldeans, lived in Haran, and after his father died, died God removed him from there into this land in which you are now living. Somewhere, 
like a lightning bolt. These 30,000 feet, we've been sailing over Genesis 11, looking over all that God has done. In the midst of this, God speaks to one man. We don't know how he did it. We don't know how he got through. We don't know how Abraham perceived it. But from somewhere living in Ur of the Chaldees before he went to Haran, one true God calls out to a man living in a polytheistic culture. The gods of that day, the Mesopotamian gods, were incredibly capricious. That is, they did whatever they wanted. You could never figure out what those gods wanted. You You sacrificed every year to have good childbearing and good crops, and sometimes you did and sometimes you didn't, and you gave up everything you could to try to please gods who seemed to never be pleased for any reason that you could figure out. And so people had this relationship with the gods that was fear and condemnation and uncertainty and no real relationship, and all of a sudden... God speaks to one man, and he says this, Go. I'm going to call you to change your allegiances. I'm going to call you to change your location. I'm going to call you to change your security and your identity. And through you, the entire world is going to be blessed. Now, I don't know about you, but when I look at this story and I think of this, of Abram sitting in Haran and and saying, okay, I'm supposed to go to this land I've never been to. There's no good Google mapping system. There's no good way to find what you're, where you're going or you know wh- what you are. The thing that I think about, and you have somehow this promise that you've received, this, was it a voice or whether it was internal, we don't know, but... but when I think about it, I, the only comparable I get is, okay, Tim, load all your, you know, sell your house, load all your goods into a moving van, and get in the van, and I'll show you where to go. And that's, that's sort of terrifying. I mean, that's sort of terrifying to think about doing something like that. It seems kind of crazy and, and whatever. But, but it's far worse than that. It's far crazier than that because what he says is, Go, and I'm going to make you a great, what? Nation. How do you make a great nation? How would Abraham have perceived being a great nation, becoming a great peoples? Through having children, right? That's the way you become a great nation at that time. We we, we remember there's a little problem, right? He's got a wife who can't have kids, And the same grief, human grief, that I'm sure they suffered is multiplied because he's got this promise that's now impossible. Humanly. It can't be done. Oh God, you didn't make me a great nation? You want me to follow you? Uh, Got an issue here. Let me tell you something. God is not only the God of promises, but he's the God of the mechanism to fulfill those promises. And Abram was facing something far worse than the moving van with not knowing his new address. He was facing a future with a promise of fruitfulness 
for which the mechanism looked barren. And I don't know about you, but I've certainly had times in my life when I feel like God wants me to enter into seasons of my life to do certain things, to see certain things accomplished in my wife and my children and in my own life. And I look at the mechanism for getting there and I say, well, God, there's not enough money in the bank account. There's not enough good and there's not enough energy in my account. I got nothing. And I don't see any way, A, to get where I'm going and B, no mechanism to even begin the journey. We get to read the other side of the story because we know the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but they don't. I think we have to appreciate that the call to go and the call to trust And the call to exchange identity because your identity is wrapped up in where you're from and wrapped up in who your family is. And he says, get out of your father's house because we find out from Joshua, um, if you're interested, the verse is Joshua 24.2 that finds out that his father is an idol worshiper. His father worships many gods, not the true God. So to leave his father's house also means leaving the religion of his father. And for some of us, we have to leave certain things we've been raised to believe because trusting Christ is a 100% change of everything. We say here, knowing Jesus changes everything. Well, it changes how you go, where you go, and with whom you go. And Abram Abram and Sarai were called to follow that God into an unknown land. And to exchange their old identity for a new identity. And to exchange the worship of gods for one true God. And then to bank on a promise that they had no idea how it possibly could be fulfilled. Welcome to the Christian life. Your identity is going to be, if it hasn't already, radically changed. Because when you get identified with Jesus Christ, and particularly in a culture that is growing everly increasingly hostile to that, to identify yourself and say, I'm I'm a Christian. That is a change of identity. That my first and foremost, it it may mean, I hope it doesn't mean leaving your family's lineage, but it might. I hope that you've been raised in a faithful household. But it may mean saying to those who've been behind you, no, I'm going to follow the one true God. It may mean a physical change of location. It may not, but it certainly is going to mean our hearts are going to change. What's the promise that God gives? Because remember, God never removes anything that he doesn't replace with something better, though different. What does God promise to Abram? Because these verses, Genesis 12, 1 through 3, are three of the most pivotal verses because they begin the covenant. Now, this covenant does not rectify sin. That happens on Calvary. Remember, there were two big problems in Genesis. One was the sin that had been introduced. God gives a temporary covering for that sin through atonement, and he will until Jesus Christ comes. But there's a second issue. Remember Babel, is that they no longer knew who God was. They created a God in their own image and decided they were on par with God. And this covenant, the purpose of this covenant, 
is not solely to bring them into relationship with God. It's to reveal God to the whole world through Abram. Look at what he says. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. That's what we're talking about. Chapter 12, verse 1. Chapter, verse 2. And I will make of you a great nation. How? I don't know. But I guess I better get to the land to figure out how that's going to happen. And look at what he says. I will bless you and I, I will make your name great. What did they say in Babel? Chapter 11. Come, guys, we're going to make a name for ourselves. You and I have a choice. We're going to write our own legacy, and I'll make the determinations as to what kind of job I have and what kind of influence I have. And if I, I'll, you know, God can help me out if he wants to, but I'm, I've determined my future because I got a name. I, I want to be rich. I want to be married. I want to be famous. I want to have a lot of kids. I want to have no kids. I want to have this. I want to have that. I want, I want, I want. And what does he say? I I will make a name for myself. And God says, I'm going to replace that because I'm going to make you a great name. You can decide to create a legacy for yourself or you can let God decide to write a legacy for you. And believe me, there are those who in this life would seem barren and seem so beneath the world's goodness. And in God's eyes, they're princes and princesses because they've been faithful to God. Maybe, like Mother Teresa, they get known in this world, but believe me, there are thousands of faithful believers who we don't have any idea of their names all over this world who have loved Jesus Christ with their lives under their death in some cases. And they're serving in faceless faithfulness. And God's legacy for eternity will matter so much more than any blip we get in this life. Continuing on in verse 2, I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. won't have you turn back, but if you want to go back to Acts 7 again where Stephen is talking about Abraham, he says this, Abram will have no part in this promised land himself. He talks about not receiving any portion of the possession, but he says it's an inheritance for you to pass along. And you and I, if we're following Christ Jesus, have been given a gift of his spirit, and a gift of the truth of his word to pass along to our children and to our neighbors and our friends and those who will listen. And we have been given this tremendous gift. And we are to be a conduit of blessing. Now, we can't be in exactly the same way a conduit of blessing that Abraham was because primarily his conduit of blessing was that through his line, that by this point, by the way, is barren, can't have any children, there will one day be a son born, not Isaac, but a son, Jesus Christ, who will be the Savior, the full God-man comes from the barren loin of Sarai many generations later. And though you may feel incredibly barren right now and fruitless, is that if you can walk into the promised land of God's provision and God's blessing and say, you make my name 
whatever you want it to be. Even if it's tatters in this life, can you give me a legacy? Is that Jesus Christ can be born through you to a world that so desperately needs it. Turn with me to Galatians 3. Paul comments on this very thing because people think, well, the covenant, it's a Jewish thing, right? Abraham's considered the father of the Jewish people, and he is, no doubt about it. But in the first century when Jesus came, there was this thought that this is a, a Jewish thing. And Paul writing about that in the first century, Galatians 3, verse 6, he says, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham and the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles. That is all the earth, not just Jews, everybody, Jews and non-Jews, justify the Gentiles by faith faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you all nations will be blessed. Abraham had no conception he was starting a nation. He didn't know Jewish from anything. He didn't know anything from anything. What he knew was something called him, someone called him to go. Leave what you know. Leave your security Leave your identity and follow me. And this is the call Jesus gives to everyone who would follow him. Leave behind what you know and follow me. Many of us have. If you haven't, I can tell you it's a terrifying, wonderful, life-changing, confusing sometimes, mysterious, but never to be traded for invitation and journey. Flipping back to Genesis 12 for the last time. I want to finish with verse 3. I'll make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. Him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. In addition to this blessing coming through Jesus, coming from the line of Abraham, We also know that those who hung with Abraham, like Lot, ended up being blessed just by being near them. We know that by observing Abraham's faith, we and all can be blessed. You can be a blessing in so many ways, but not by being a good person, but by being a Christ-honoring person. It's good to be a good person. That's not like great to be a bad person, but that's not what's going to change people's lives. It's going to be when we point them to something beyond The resources that Abraham did get and the resources that are available to us are immense. This covenant that is started here is going to reveal to the whole world who the true God is. Because remember, Babel had gotten it confused. All the languages now were separating people and God was going to reveal who he really was through a very marred, imperfect man, Abram, and his family, which is the prototypical dysfunctional family of almost all time. I mean, they don't, Jerry Springer has nothing on this family, and we're going to see. But the point is, it's not about how great they are, because I frankly couldn't relate to a perfect family because I don't have one. As wonderful as we are, I'll just take, take me off my pedestal. You, you know, we got our issues. 
So this is about revealing a God who works through faithfulness. Now, the benefits are conditional. If, if Abraham would obey in the circumcision and in the covenant, he would receive benefits. But the blessing is unconditional. Abram's going to be fruitful. God made this unconditional promise, unlike the Mosaic promise. This is an unconditional promise that he's going to do it through a man who leaves his country. Just close by saying that, you know, Babel in this languages that are all confused and separate people, but do get them to disperse and obey God when Jesus comes and his spirit is released and at Pentecost we have the sort of turnaround of Babel because what happens? People of many languages, confused, couldn't speak to one another on the day of Pentecost, come together and they begin to speak and everyone, it says, heard them in their own language and that as God released this gift through the power of the Holy Spirit, they turned around what had been done despite God at Babel was used to honor God because now somehow these confused languages were all hearing the praises of God in their own ears, in their own language, an amazing way that God redeems even that. For those who trusted in Jesus... The sin that mars us is not forever because I'm going to give this back to Nancy and we're going to see how a potter can reshape clay because you and I are going to be clay in his hands as we go from our own countries and as we're shaped to be like Jesus. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, I thank you for the truth of your word and that what was lost in sin is not lost forever because you are greater than sin. And you're also greater than the consequences of sin. Lord, we live in a world of distress and disease and destruction, but Lord, you're greater than that and it doesn't have the final word for you've come now and you're in the process of restoring all things to yourself. Lord, you're going to culminate by setting all things right. But Lord, we have the process now of walking in faith and beginning to walk toward a new land where, or this promised land where we get to see you in action in our lives and reveal you to a world that wants to define its own gods. But we know there's only one God. So Lord, take us and Take us on this journey with Abraham. Lord, we love you and we desire to see you operate as we turn to you. Lord, we're, we're often sinful, we're often hard-hearted and stiff-necked, but you're in the business of softening hearts and unstiffening those necks and then bringing people who will turn to you to a brand new place. So Lord, we give you ourselves, our church, our families, our loved ones, Lord, particularly those who are struggling, don't know you, or in in a tough place. And Lord, if all this, for some who are hearing this, just seems so unrelatable, Lord, I ask you to just speak your love 
Speak that you're real. You know the way to our hearts, Lord. Just take a minute before we close in worship and just take a minute to talk to the Lord.